Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. You know, I love to read. Not so much fiction, but usually nonfiction. And I'm usually reading more than one book at a time. Well, I recently started reading a book by Robert Paul and Greg Smalley titled Nine Lies That Will Destroy Your Marriage. The subtitle is And the Truths That Will Save It and Set It Free. Even though I haven't read a lot of it yet, for the next few weeks I want to share from this book. Greg Smalley is the Vice President of Marriage at Focus on the Family. Robert Paul is a licensed professional counselor and is president of the Focus on the Family Marriage Institute and the director and creator of the Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Counseling Program. The nine lies they address in the book are 1. And they lived happily ever after. 2. 1 plus 1 equals 1. 3. All you need is love. 4. I must sacrifice who I am for the sake of my marriage. Number five, you must meet each other's needs. Number six, our differences are irreconcilable. Number seven, I'm going to make you love me. Number eight, your love is driving me crazy. Number nine, you win some, you lose some. You know, each couple is unique and faces unique challenges in marriage. But Greg and Robert say in the book's introduction that in their decades of working with couples, both in marriages that are healthy and in those that are struggling, that they have repeatedly encountered the same major problems happening over and over again. Yes, the individual circumstances of each marriage may be unique, but the problems that they see weakening and destroying marriages are often common and predictable. They say that the reason for this is that men and women grow up learning lies about love, lies generally taught by well-meaning people. Then they put those love lies into practice in their marriages, which prevents them from experiencing the wonder and beauty of real love. The problem is, if you use relational strategies that cannot actually work and don't realize it, and they don't work, what we are left to assume when these strategies fail is, the people themselves must be flawed. Another thing the authors want us to realize is that there are supernatural forces at work in our lives and marriages, and that we shouldn't be surprised that the evil force wants to cause chaos and distrust in our relationships. The devil is real, and he's out to destroy you and ruin your marriage. They say that they're not saying this so you can mistreat and abuse your partner, then turn around and blame it on the devil. They're simply warning us that as we explore the lies that destroy marriages, to not forget to guard yourself and your marriage from the author of these lies. Remember, your partner's not your enemy. You are on the same team. Well, with that in mind, let's begin to look at lie number one. And they lived happily ever after. I want to share a story that they have in the book about Katie and Zach because you may see yourselves in your version of them. For years, Katie and Zach were happy. 
They loved each other, enjoyed the same things, and built a loving home and family together. We went into marriage expecting we would be happy, Zach offered. I mean, why get married if you don't think you would be happy? But over time, alien elements of unhappiness invaded their love nest. The problem started soon after the birth of their first child, an overactive boy. Everybody told us we'd be tired, Katie said, but we had no idea how tired. Strange feelings began to cloud their relationship. They disagreed over whose turn it was to do the 4 a.m. feeding, and they found themselves disappointed to experience these petty arguments. We truly love our precious baby boy, but feel guilty about not being good enough parents, Zach confessed. We even feel guilty about feeling guilty. There was no more time for dining out, going to movies, or even talking. After two weeks of paid paternity leave, Zach couldn't wait to return to the people and predictability at his work. Over the next few weeks, Katie grew resentful that Zach now helped her less, and Zach became frustrated. I don't get it, Zach said. We need my income now more than ever. In time, a pattern developed. After problems arose, things would then calm down again and life would return to normal. But each new normal seemed a few steps beyond their original ideals. A simmering discontent grew up between them. We were so young and innocent when we said we would live happily ever after, Katie said. But right now, nobody's happy. Their scenario is far from unusual. Happy endings happen frequently in fairy tales and romantic movies. But real life turns out to be a bit more complicated and messy. Zack and Katie embraced a popular version of the happily ever after lie. They had come to believe that a good marriage is like a big greenhouse that grows happiness. If happiness is fading, so is the marriage. If happiness is gone, so is the marriage. Unfortunately, they've set themselves on a path that leads in a downward spiral. When happiness is seen as a major purpose for getting married, a lack of happiness can lead to disappointment, frustration, and even comparison to other marriages perceived to be happier than theirs. Now, as the distance between Katie and Zach has grown, feelings of happiness are increasingly rare, replaced by feelings of discouragement and being cheated. They want to work and make things better, but both question whether it would require too much investment and whether it would be worth it. According to Robert and Greg, unmet expectations for continued happiness in marriage are actually one of the greatest causes of marital disappointment. We Americans believe in happiness and aggressively seek it out. For many people, the pursuit of happiness becomes the primary purpose of both life and marriage. Since they believe they will be happier with someone, they want to team up with a partner in order to make each other supremely happy. But unfortunately, once happiness becomes the main goal of marriage, all the normal ups and downs and challenges of life can pose serious dangers to the relationship. And in some cases, marital unhappiness becomes a potential justification for emotional distance, affairs, or divorce. When things go south in our marriage, 
when they don't live up to our hopes and expectations, or when there are periods of dissatisfaction, the commitment to stay together becomes strained, and people often say things like, well, this isn't what I had in mind. I've fallen out of love with my partner. I didn't sign up for this. There's something wrong with my spouse. We've grown apart. This is just too hard and painful. I don't want to do this anymore. Or even, sometimes I don't even remember why we married each other. Let's stop for a minute and look at Katie and Zach's particular scenario. Is it possible that they've bought into a flawed picture about what constitutes happiness? Are they navigating toward a fairy tale destination that's illusory rather than attempting to identify and align with the truth of God's intent? Robert and Greg say that God wants men and women to be really happy in marriage. That's part of why he created it. As the Lord declares throughout Scripture, He loves us and wants us to be full of joy. But that's not the whole story. Marital happiness is only one aspect of God's much bigger picture for this important relationship. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The word full here means over and above, more than enough. God wants us to experience not only the fullness of joy in Him, but also the fullness of life through gifts of His such as marriage. Somewhere along the way, we've become confused about how to experience life fully. Katie and Zach believed happiness was their primary purpose in life. But is happiness the only meaningful aspect of life? How about things like relationships, family, caring, compassion, creativity, creating, learning, growing, freedom, commitment, effort, devotion, hope, vision, sacrifice, making a difference, teamwork, and on and on. As important as happiness is, Robert and Greg say we struggle to imagine that it's more important than the rest of these. In fact, we are confident that God wants us all to be personally blessed. However, His purposes for us individually and His purposes for us in the world are much bigger than just our personal blessings. Robert and Greg go on to say that they have good news for Katie and Zach and the many other people who are having problems experiencing the marital happiness they've dreamed of. When God created marriage, He meant the blessings to extend beyond just Zach and Katie, beyond just you and me. He's at work on a larger plan, and it's clear He wants us to be a part of it with Him. God sees marriage as a powerful relationship that can help redeem the world and build His kingdom. Happiness is a good thing, and marriage often makes people happier. But there's so much more to marriage than just the feelings of two people. God created marriage for your good, but He also has purposes that are far more meaningful and far-reaching. Let's take a look at some of God's higher purposes for your marriage. As a married couple, you are now commissioned by God to go on a sacred journey with Him and your spouse. Robert and Greg say the marital expedition has potential for personal, community, and kingdom purposes. 
You may need a paradigm shift in the way you look at each other and the state of your marriage. Well, our time is gone for today. We'll continue with Love Lie number one next week. Have a great and safe weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.